Last on the Tee in episode 19, the season two finale of Grow the Grind. Live from the Cognizant Founders Cup, a 94-year-old legend who can still stripe it. One of the two living LPGA founders who is responsible for the tour as we know it today. It is my incredible privilege to introduce a Hall of Famer, winner of the first National Collegiate Championship that was held in 1947, twice voted LPGA National Teacher of the Year, an Ellen Griffin Award winner, and the Commissioner's Award recipient in 2000. One of the 13 founders of the LPGA, Shirley Spork. When you set up a podcast with a 94-year-old, you really don't know what to expect. I thought my dad and I were gonna have to do all the talking, but not even 30 seconds in, I knew that wasn't going to be the case. As I went through my introduction, I paused. Shirley thought I was done and went straight into telling a story. She never looked back. Shirley Spork is an inspiration to every woman on the tour. You could feel that on the 18th green and as she walked around the event. The founder's perch that rests greenside has chairs dedicated to the game's all-time greats. As the rounds finished, current players would make their way to meet Shirley and say thank you. I could tell how much of a role model she is to the current LPGA players. That says it all. When I reflect on the experiences Grow the Grind has given me, I simply can't believe it. We started this podcast two years ago in a cold Chicago dome in the middle of winter with one of my golf friends, Reese Wallace. In a blink, it has turned into more than I can ever comprehend. Talking to a founder of the LPGA, players after practice rounds, and the LPGA commissioner at the Founders Cup, I've shared time with my favorite golfer, covered the North and South Am in Pinehurst, sat down with the top college players and coaches at the Arnold Palmer Cup, and was even able to gather up the courage to introduce myself to Lexi Thompson and the Henderson sisters. This podcast has been a journey. Thank you for tuning in and joining us for the ride. Let's put a bow on season two. Here it is. Episode 19, Act Like a Founder with Shirley Spork. <laughs> thank you for sh- thank you for shining the sunlight on yeah. us. Yeah. Really, thank it's you. been it's been dreary and this morning was foggy. So you brought it, Shirley. Let me start with thank you. Without you and the other 12 founders, I wouldn't be here today. The tour wouldn't be here today. And this game that has changed my life and the life of so many others would not be anywhere near where it is today. Wow, 71 years ago. It all started, and we're here to celebrate the anniversary of the LPGA, being 71 years old, and that was way back in 1950, and a group of us ladies who loved the game of golf wanted to compete, and we wanted to be able to show that women could hit the golf ball and be professional and play and and entertain other people, along with the fact that we learned uh, about teaching the game of golf, and we loved wanting to promote golf is for juniors uh, throughout our country. So along with uh, starting the, the tour part of the LPGA, 10 years later, in 1960, we started the teaching division of the LPGA, and we developed our, our group, and today we have 1,800 teaching members. And of those teaching members, we have many 
many ladies who develop our USGA, LPGA, junior golf programs. And they're throughout the United States. There are 50, there's, excuse me, 500 units of our teaching and of the junior and you've you've golf. actually been able to see all of that develop throughout Dang. the years as, and obviously have your thumbprint and hand all over it 1927 you know i'm going to tell you something i i have a problem with these junior high kids nowadays you know why because <laughs> they say oh you're you're born in the 1900s so yeah. you and i surely got something going on all these young pups and, and right i think that a very I'm for, I've been in two centuries. That's right, you have. Yeah. 94 years old, you're yeah. on a podcast here. We're going to put this out on Instagram. I know you got a Facebook account. I don't know well, if you're paying any attention on, to it but, at all. Uh, you know, way back when I started golf, there was no junior golf programs. And someone said, well, how did you get into the game of golf? And I said, well, my parents moved in the city of Detroit out to the outskirts of the city on a piece of property that adjoined a golf course. And you and, know what, Allie's got an awesome question for you on that mm-hmm. right now, Al. Go ahead, throw that at her. So I heard a super cool story about you, Shirley. Something about selling golf balls and buying clubs. Did you really do that? Can you tell us about that yeah, story? Yeah, that was terrific. <laughs> I said, I was 13 years old. That's Allie, so yeah. that's, that's and, uh, Allie I right was, now. I was in the seventh grade at school, <laughs> and in the neighborhood, there was, as I said, uh, we moved next to a piece, a, a golf course, and the golfers sliced their golf ball into our property, and I found these golf balls, and I, I washed them off and sold them back to the golfers, and the boys in the neighborhood said that, you know, if I had a golf club, I could go play with them. So I saved my money and I what had a dollar bill. Rate? How much? How much did it? What was the going rate for a used golf ball back in the? Well, I used to wear a pair of jeans that had four pockets, and I had uh, three for fifty cents and one for a dollar. I had uh, different pockets in my <laughs> that had pants like a different I, quality I of golf show. ball. Yeah, sure. right. Yeah, and, and golf balls then were wound with rubber string and yeah. rubber and then it had a cover on it and if you missed the ball and topped it you'd cut it yeah yeah, so yeah they were so I, soft i had to buy a bar of ivory soap and rub some soap into the cut so that yeah <laughs> you filled show. the cracks you were scamming all <laughs> yeah. those guys good and, for you and i'd find <laughs> balls that were in the water and they got water soaked and they had a dark spot on it and we took a do? cup of water and Clorox and we dip it in the Unreal. in there and pull it out real quick and that would disappear. So you were hustling. You were hustling. You had to be very careful because the paint would come off. But anyhow, <laughs> uh, so I, I got a dollar and um, I was so excited and my mother gave me thirteen cents to ride the streetcar down into the city of Detroit and I went to a sporting goods shop to look for a golf club for a dollar. And they didn't have any for a dollar. He said, You go to the SS Presky dime store and they'll have a big barrel of them <laughs> golf clubs. So I did and walked a couple of blocks away and went in the store and they had these golf clubs in this barrel and they were long ones that were wooden headed yeah. and they had iron ones that were bent and they had an iron one that was straight and uh, I, I 
the man said, well, what are you looking for? And I said, just a golf club. And, <laughs> and I, I picked out the one that was short. And on the bottom of it, it had a number 10. And it was straight. And so I got this club and went back to the neighborhood and showed the little boys that I was going to play with my golf club, and they all laughed at me. They all laughed at me because it's the last club you ever use. It was a putter. <laughs> what were you thinking? I didn't know yeah. one from the other. Yeah. But that so would happen after they that. Said, then you had well, to get some clubs. They said, you know, you only use that at the end of the game, at the end of the hole. And I found some wooden tees, and I teed it up and hit it down the fairway with it, <laughs> and up the hill to the green, and then I came down the hill, and then the ranger chased me off the golf course because I didn't have a ticket to play. Oh. So, I really uh, like where you're at. Yeah, you just right. did what you wanted. So uh, I, I wrote a book, and the name of the book is From Green to Tea. We bought it. Yeah, yeah we, because, we bought because, it, and we're going uh, to have to I have started at the end, and I'm trying to get to the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would say from a golf perspective, that's not the worst place to start working right. around the greens, right? right? And as a well, teaching pro, you'd probably advise that, too. In today's game, on any golf tour, whether it's juniors or seniors or just players, uh, it's whoever gets it in the hole first wins the game. And what you're going to see here at this beautiful facility at the Founders event here for the first time on our East Coast, that the greens here are very tricky. There's a lot of undulation on the greens, and it's going to be hard to putt well. And whomever puts the best is going to win. Not how far way, you yeah. It's not how far you hit it. It's how close you hit it on the green and get it in the hole. So I also heard that you stopped playing golf for a little while when you were in high school. Was it hard to convince your parents that at the time that girls should be playing golf? Well, my parents were both worked. They were blue-collar workers. They both worked, and uh, golf to them was that I, they knew where I was. I was by the <laughs> golf course. I was not in any trouble. And... Uh, it's like the course was your babysitter, huh? Yeah, right. And uh, we didn't have junior golf programs, but uh, the Public Links Ladies Golf Association allowed me to play with them when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. That's really cool. And so that's how I began to get into competition. And in my era, in this country, to play in your club and to play in your state tournament, you had to belong to a private club or be the champion of the Publinks Golf Association. So when I when I got to high school, I became the best golfer in the Publinks Ladies Golf and I got to play in the state. And from that, you get invited to play in the title holders, which was like our masters. And it was played at Augusta Country Club. And Augusta Country Club adjoins the masters. It's right there next door. So that's how I leaped and got going in competition. But in high school, we had one nine-hole tournament, and every high school in the Detroit area could send a golfer 
to this tournament, and it was called the City High School Championship, and I won that. It was nine holes at Palmer Park. So I became the high school city golf champion, and I had a jacket with the R for Redwood <laughs> High School on it and a stripe, and uh, and we went from there. I don't think that you're winning. Uh, it stopped there. So your passion for golf really came back in college. One of the best things you did in your playing career was winning the National Collegiate Championship. That was before the NCAA championship existed for women. When you think back on your career and life, where does that moment rank for you? I went to college because, the uh, first of all, the WPGA was a, and a, a group of professionals, Patty Berg and, and uh, the Babe and Louise Suggs, and it existed like two or three years, and then... I went, when I graduated high school, I was going to join it, but it, it went defunct. They ran yeah, out of money, so there wasn't they any. They couldn't stand. So I, I went to college. Eastern and, Michigan. And, Is and that where you went? I studied to be a physical so. education teacher. And in that era, you were not supposed to uh, do individual sports. Mm-hmm. They did not want you to do individual sports. They wanted you to do team sports and intramurals. So uh, we had a substitute teacher, and I got them to sign my application so I could go play in the National <laughs> Intercollegiate, which was at Ohio State, Unreal. at Ohio State University. And at Ohio State University... Uh, was the tournament was uh, match play? It was match play, and I won the tournament, and so I became the national intercollegiate champion. So I went back to my college, Eastern Michigan, Eastern Michigan University, and was not honored because I wasn't supposed to excel in individual sports. But the men's department honored me and gave me a jacket, but no letter. So 60 years later, I got my E, and I said to them, I guess it's for effort. And it took 60 years to get it. So now I have my letter E from Eastern Michigan. I heard that was one of your most prized possessions is that E, because, you know, waiting 60 years to be recognized (laughs) from a place of pride. And you have a lot of Michigan pride. You really have a lot of pride for your college. uh, Also, that was the only national sport championship won in that year 1947 at Eastern Michigan University that was a big and someone who worked in the media found that out and started a uh, endowment for me they put up a insurance policy and I have a endowment Shirley G Sport women's golf endowment at that university now and each year, uh, the past three years, I've held a pro-am to raise money for that. So they can take 4% out of that endowment. And anytime I have a birthday or occasion where someone wants to give me anything, I say, well, send some money to my endowment. You're still giving. Yeah. You're still so, giving and so, growing yeah, it. And that's right. so, what, a, what a journey it's yes, been for you. Right. I, I, I found that story to be so cool when I, when I read it because I remember the Letterman notion, even back when I was in high school, that earning that letter was such oh, a significant yeah, 
factor for all athletes. You know, when you're, especially if you're a younger athlete, I remember guys that were freshmen and sophomores in high school earning their letter really yes. early, and then they would put pins on it, and it would be a part and of the jacket. And then you had a, a stripe you put sure. on how many times. and then times, they hand you, know, you this jacket, oh, and yeah, it doesn't red, even red have for, the E, though. It didn't even have the E on it. No. So they made you sit with this thing for 60 years. Yeah, you got this right. thing in the closet, and you can't even wear it. And then they finally give it to you. Yeah. I think you framed it, and you put it oh, on yeah. display okay, at the I've house. Got it in the house, so yeah. <laughs> what a cool, what a cool story that is. Yeah. You mentioned some of the players. I think it's time to transition into that early stage, don't you think, Al? We really yeah. want to hear some fun stories about when the tour got started. And we're talking about 1950 is when the LPGA was founded. And it was a dream come true. We heard the story about, you know, somebody kind of tapping you on the shoulder saying, hey, you want to, what, you don't well, even I don't even know, of, I don't, I'm not even a pro, right? What's that story? Is that a, the well, babe? Uh, being an, a, a, an outstanding amateur performer, uh, we went. We were allowed to go and play in the Women's Western Open in Chicago area. And you at know, that that's time, where we're from. You know, we're from that area. They're still having and that event. And the name of the course was Skycrest. It's changed its name now, but Babe Dietrichson Zaharias was the golf pro there. She was the head golf pro. And the Women's Western, if you, as your audience probably understands, if a golf tournament says it's open, anybody can play it, pros or amateurs. So the Women's Western had a little section for the uh, leftover WPGA pros, uh, Louise Suggs, Fatty Berg, and the Babe, and were there to play. And for, at breakfast, I was there as an amateur, along with Marilyn Smith as an amateur. And um, we uh, were having breakfast with the babe, and I was sitting across from her, and she said to me, she said, we're, listen, kid, she always called me kid, listen, kid, we're going to have a tour and we need we need numbers. We need people. I, mean, I, I want you to turn pro so you can join us. And I said, "Well, well, how how would I do that?" And she stood up from the table and she came around and hit me on the head and she said, "I deem you a golf pro. Go down to the tee and announce that you were playing as a golf pro today." <laughs> and that's how I joined the, the, the ranks of becoming a golf pro. And uh, today, as of last August, we had 360 ladies come to Mission Hills in the Palm Springs area to the Players School. 360 ladies. And of that 360, 90 got to go to players school too. And then the third player school, which is next month in Florida, there will be 10 ladies who will receive their credentials to go on our tour next year. That's amazing. What a transition it's wow. been for you what to watch that tremendous, evolution. Tremendous. Well, this all occurred because of uh, this all occurred because of Title IX, and when Title IX came in, we were able to uh, offer scholarships in college to golfers and 
like equal to men's numbers of scholarships. Mm -hmm. So that's how uh, uh, collegiate golf developed. Uh, it, it developed to the point where uh, lots of uh, foreign uh, players have come to our golf tour that play on our tour now from, from having the opportunity to come to America and go to co a college for four years and compete. And, and, uh, and, and that's how we have built uh, players on our golf so tour. So golf, the, one of the best parts about the golf tour is when you get these rivalries that exist between players. Uh, we've got right now the Bryson DeChambeau situation going on with Brooks Kepka. You know, we've seen the Tiger and the Phil thing that really, really enhanced the game. Yes. You know firsthand about one of the first rivalries, I think. And <laughs> Babe Zaharias and Louis Suggs had something going there where there was a nice, friendly competition between them. What do you remember about those days well, when those uh, elite players were competing? When, when we played in... Um when we got to play different places, we, uh, George S. May Company in Chicago started a tournament called the Tam Shanner All-America. And at that golf tournament, lady pros, lady amateurs, men pros, men amateurs, celebrities played. Everybody played. And uh, at the tournament, um, uh, Louise was playing against the babe. and. And they, uh, at the time, Louise, I think, was president of our LPGA. And um, they had some dissertation on the course about a ruling, and, and it was kind of a mix-up, and, and they were fierce competitors uh, along with that. Uh, but uh, we only grew uh, in numbers as we traveled because of the fact that we would... Uh, our tournament director when we finally got a tournament director and we begin to have sponsors we were able to always start our tour in Florida and go the southern route to the west and up and across the top and end up in New York so our tour went in a, in a, a van uh, we were uh, by car we traveled by car uh, every I don't think but once we were on a on an airplane and that was a a DC3 and <laughs> it was once we got to go on an airplane in the yeah. 1950s period <laughs> other than that we traveled by car and we had as uh, you would see in the founders film we had three paddles and one panel was painted red and one was yellow and one was green and one was for gas, and one was for food, and one was the restroom. So we just waved the paddle <laughs> out the window, and then we knew that the people behind us, why we were going to so stop. So you were just caravanning. There yeah. were six, seven, eight cars driving from one spot yeah. to the next, advocating for yourselves. And there were no motor, no, were no holiday inns. Yeah. We stayed in, in the West, in the Midwest. We stayed in... Uh, motor courts that had a little two rooms and you could cook and uh, it was hard to get vegetables we just loved to get to a bigger city that had a cafeteria because we could go and have something other than canned peas and carrots we we didn't have managers and we didn't have 
uh, health people tell us what they do or <laughs> what, what to eat. That's what the next question is, right? Yeah. Now? Go ahead. Can you compare the women's game now to then? Because there's been a big difference in the game. Oh, it's of entirely you. different. It's like the yeah. like in tennis, they have their whole group around them. They have their manager. They have their professional. They have their conditioning person that helps them. And uh, uh, we we just had our own self. And I can truthfully put my hand on a Bible and say in all the competition that I ever played in my entire life, in my entire life, I could say that I hit it out of bounds less than five times in my life. <laughs> we all did nothing but hit it straight because we practiced and we, we practiced before we played, we practiced after we played. We didn't condition our body, we conditioned our golf swing. Uh, we, we didn't have a gym to go to to <laughs> exercise in, or we didn't have one, someone to tell us how to exercise. <laughs> Do you think equipment plays a factor in that at all? I mean, they well, are longer I, now. I, I think I, I would like to see uh, one of our leading players here, or let's say the 10 top leading players go out and play with the clubs I that we played with in the yes. 1950s, Me and my dad which were very that. heavy and very stiff. Mm -hmm. And we all hit at the same distance, uh, except the babe. The babe hit it farther. We hit well, well, it 225 yeah, yards, and babe hit it 240. But Dave was wild, and she hit it in the rough and to the right and the left, but she was so strong. She, <laughs> I saw her hit a ball out of rough over her ankles, like it was sitting on a tee and knocking on the green with a five iron. She was conditioned because she was a true, she was the, the athlete of the first 50 years of the 20th century. And that's, that's sort of how I got interested in golf. I read in an encyclopedia that this lady paid Dietrich and did all these things. And I thought, wow, if she can do all of those things, maybe I can do one sport. And then sport. she anointed you yes, a pro. How yes, great is that? It was that? tremendous. You went from reading about her in yes. encyclopedias that she's a two-time Olympic champion to her saying, hey, let's go. We're found doing this LPGA. Yeah, so... Um, I remember playing in a tournament where I was practicing a shot around the green that that she hit, and she, when the ball landed, it was we were using like a, a a sand iron. We only had like a pitching club and a sand iron, and when you hit it off the green, uh, when it hit the green, it would go and stop. It go stop, stop. And she did that all the time. And I thought, wow, oh, I'm going to learn that shot. And you get that ball so, to check. So I'm out there practicing, and she walked by, and I said, uh, she said, what are you doing, kid? And I said, oh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to learn to hit that shot like you hit it. And she said, uh, she said give me the club. <laughs> and she takes the club, and it goes, Ch -ch -ch -ch, and she hands it back to me, and she says, see, that's how you do it. And she walked away. <laughs> She didn't tell me how she did it. She showed me how she did it. Did you learn? She didn't tell did me. You she ever showed learn? me. And I learned the shot. Good. Wow. 
And uh, today, we don't use that shot. Now they hit the ball way up in the air and make it come down and stop. And that's entirely different. That's new. That's new. And some of our girls, as you see with Lexi Thompson, she hits down on the ball and takes a real deep divot because her angle is coming up the ball this way and it's putting backspin on it. And the higher you can hit it, and as it drops down, it stops. Because the greens today are like this tabletop. They're fast, they're hard, and the ball doesn't make divots. There's no divots anymore on the green, because it just stops. And that's, that's the advancement that you hear the sports announcers talk about, the apex of the heights of the ball going, and that's what they're trying to do different. That's yeah. what's really different today. And the difference also being that the greens uh, register on a stamp meter very, very fast. Do you realize how loved and adored you are by all the people <laughs> around this game? Well, Did you uh, not even take a minute to think about it no i just you think, feel it right can you feel I, I it i feel uh the warmth and interest of of people that admire uh when we look at all these 13 ladies pictures over here how we went forward with what talent we had and were supported if we were not supported by a grand a godfather and a godmother we wouldn't have made it see Alvin Hanmacher had a clothing business and it was called Weather Vane and we, he gave money to our first tournament director to have four tournaments one north, one south, one east one west and it was throughout the year so in between those four we were picking up other tournaments and the, and the money, the prize money, money was $3,000 per tournament. <laughs> By the way, this Founders Cup, $3 million. Yes. Yeah. It was $3,000. It's a little bit of a difference. A little difference, yes. And but Wilson got involved after that. Didn't Wilson play well, a major Wilson role in it was, afterwards? Uh, Wilson's sporting good uh, signed up Babe to give clinics. This is before she was going to be a golf pro. So um, she convinced Wilson and Spalding and McGregor to hire a tournament director. Okay. And our first tournament director was Fred Corcoran, who had been the head of the tournaments for the PGA. And he also had uh, Ted Williams. Mm. He managed Ted Williams and other sports did you ever meet Ted Persons. Williams? Yes. You met Ted Williams? Right. What was he like? He loved to fish. And one of my students, Shirley Inglehorn, went and caught a sailfish fishing with him. And they both represented Sears. Sears and Roebuck of golf and fishing equipment. And uh, he was... he. Uh, he ended up living on the west, in the southern part of California. What and, a swing. What yeah, a swing. Right. Whose swing was yeah. better, yours or Ted Williams? Right. Well, baseball players, a golf swing is very similar to a baseball. Both uh, can be elegant and beautiful. That's why I ask, because yeah, right. Ted Williams had one of the greatest swings in the right, game. Right, And um, any any sport that you do, 
uh, it's grace and power, both. There's grace and power and balance. And uh, to hit a, hit a golf ball correctly, you don't give it 100%. You, you control your effort. And what you're seeing here today with these, and the comments that I've, over the years, from men, they love to watch the lead golf pro swing because it's graceful and it's, at the same time, very powerful. Now, we have some ladies playing here that are, couldn't possibly weigh more than 120 pounds, 115 pounds, and they hit it 260, 270 yards. How do, how do they do that? Well, the equipment, the equipment is different. Yeah, and the swing that they've and learned they, to they can get the swing most the, out the, of it. You know, the, the faster you can swing an object, the faster you swing it, and you meet something, it's going to make that thing go somewhere. Allie, so. tell Shirley uh, about your conversation with Brooke Henderson yesterday. Okay, so yeah, yesterday we talked to Brooke Henderson, and she told us that, uh, what was it, two years ago, you um, were on the driving range with her, took her uh, driver out, which is a little longer than, how long did she 48, say it was? 48. 48, yeah. and you just were hitting it. Yeah. 92 years old, stealing Brooke Henderson's driver <laughs> yeah. on the range, hitting right. it in the middle of the face. <laughs> That's what she, she told us. Uh, yes, and uh, Brooke was, uh, came to play in Portland, Oregon, and on Mondays at each uh, event, there's a qualifying. So if someone has a card, but, you know, there's only 144 get to play. But at every tournament on a Monday, a group of our people that are down below the 144 mm -hmm. or thinking about becoming a golf pro, they can come on Monday and they get one spot. And Brooke got that spot in Portland. She came from Canada. So she not only got to play, but she won the tournament. <laughs> and because of that, the commissioner is allowed to give a, out a, a, a membership to someone who just happens to come by, like Laura Davies, and uh, for another example. And the commissioner, if they do something like that, win a tournament, they're not even a member, they can allow them to become they a member. They hand you that They don't have to go to player card, school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here's her card. So that's how Brooke got on our tour. She's a wonderful young lady, and uh, we, we are so happy to have her represent us on the tour uh, around the world. Of course, we're global. We're, we're global now. You how know. are you still getting around traveling everywhere? You, you're, <laughs> I feel like you're everywhere still. You love well, the travel still? I mean, ever since you were driving around in that caravan, you haven't stopped. <laughs> well, uh, I do what I can with artificial hips and knees, but... Uh, <laughs> Security checkpoints I'm, are a problem. I'm very, very fortunate that we've had the Dinah Shore for 51 years in Mission Hills, and that's about 15 minutes from my house. So every year I get to be at Mission Hills. I have. Now, I, uh, I, now I'll be in change. I don't know if you're going to remember this story, but I'd like to see if you can think back to it. I think it was 1951, all right? Okay, you remember that year pretty clearly, I assume. I think you were out in St. Andrews. 
And well, I heard a story um, that you were the first yeah. woman allowed into the clubhouse yes, at that um, course. Well, when I turned professional, you you wanted to work and represent a company to uh, receive an income, of course. Other than trying to play in a tournament, you're not going to make it. So um, Louise was with McGregor, and Marilyn Smith was Spalding, and Babe and Patty were uh, Wilson. And the fourth manufacturer that came in after World War II was Golf Craft, which is now Titleist. So I applied for them to become their representative, be on their advisory staff. So uh, we distributed at Golf Craft the A.E. Penfold golf ball, which was made in England. The golf ball had uh, like diamonds, hearts, and spades on, on the ball. Yeah. So Mr. Penfold came to this country to negotiate the contract. And I played golf with he and Mr. Woolley from Golfcraft. And I shot a 27 for nine holes. And he was rarely impressed wow. and said, would you like to come to England and get some clinics? And I said, wow, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Now, I was 21, 22 years old. So I, I went to England and I gave clinics. They don't have, at that time, they had no driving ranges. So I gave this clinic always on the first tee. And um, this is after World War II. And in World War II, you weren't able to make golf balls. And you weren't even to make golf clubs because they were steel. You couldn't, yeah, production you, you couldn't just use stopped rubber. Any of that. Uh, you, you, you know, couldn't do all that stuff. So when I would hit a ball in the clinic, like Marilyn did or Babe did or Patty did, we showed how they topped it and sliced it and hooked it and all this stuff and so I would stand and I'd say now this is normally what you know some of you gentlemen do and I'd go hit a slice. slice it <laughs> and then some of you really want to hit it and you hooked it and then you you would just kind of lose your balance and top it and then I'd show them how to correct that and I'd say there goes another penfold and as minute the clinic was over the galleries out getting these brand new balls because they didn't have them during. So giving these clinics at each clinic on the 18th green, I would say, I want to thank you all for coming out here today. Would you please throw some shillings on the green for junior golf? So I was promoting, promoting junior golf in England's and Wales and France for six weeks for Penfold, and and that uh, and so when I went there, Mr. Uh, he said, "What would you like to do?" And I said, "Before I start doing these clinics, I want to go play St Andrews by myself. I just just want to go play." So I get on a train, and we get to, off the train, and. His salesman takes us to St. Andrews, and it's a, it's a cold day. The wind is kind of normal, just blowing. And my caddy, and if you ever see pictures of caddies, they used to wear a long coat and rubber boots, and they were old gentlemen, old gentlemen. 
and he's going to be my caddy, and I go to the first tee, and there's three men I'm going to play with. And one was the Air Force captain, a champion golfer, and one was a gentleman who his fame to claim is he beat Bing Crosby in the British Amateur, and he was in this construction business. They were good golfers. And the other gentleman, I can't remember his name, but anyhow, I had a manager, and I, it was cold, and she said, I'm going to go to town and, and try to find some insulated underwear. <laughs> so we start playing, and after about the third hole, there's about 10 people. And then there's, you go down to the eighth hole, and there's 50 people. And then we get over to the road hole, and there's 200 people. And so when the manager comes back, and I said, well, did you get your, get your underwear? And, and, and where did all these people come from? She said, oh, well, let me tell you. She says there's a note on the doors of the, the businesses. A lady American pro at Link's closed. They closed their shops to come out to watch me play. That's how they got there. So when we're through, through playing, here in this country, the person who manages a golf club, the clubhouse is called a manager. There it's called the captain. So the captain comes out, and he said, would you like to come in the clubhouse? And I thought, yeah, big deal. No, I'm going to go in the clubhouse. So, <laughs> so I go in the clubhouse, and um, he said, I'm going to take you to the board, the board room. And as we walk down the hall from floor to ceiling for about 20 feet are all the clubs that they ruled illegal. In other words, when you made a golf club, you had to get the approval of the Royal and Ancient to manufacture it. Because if you manufactured it and tried to sell it, it would be illegal. You couldn't play with it. Sure. So we got to the boardroom, and this boardroom uh, table was probably 10 feet long, maybe longer. And the press from the London Times gentleman was there, and some other gentlemen, and they said, uh, you know, we're very impressed the fact that you hit the ball in the air and then make it stop on the green, because we don't do that in this country. We hit it on the ground and hit it they low into the wind. It all in, yeah. So he handed me, he said, I went in your golf bag, and this is your club, your sand iron. Show us how you do that. So I got up from the chair, and he handed me the club, and I'm going to start to show them. He said, no, no, get on the table. I stood on the table of the Royal and Ancient, showing him how to move the ball back and move your hands and make it go high or low and stuff like that. So um, also they said, would you like to see the men's locker room? And I thought, big deal. What do I want to see the men's locker room for? So if you ever saw a picture of the Royal and Ancient, there's a bay window that you're looking at. In that room was a rather small room, but it had two overstuffed chairs and gentlemen drinking their sherry and smoking their pipe or cigar would look out the window to see who's teeing off. And on the wall, on two sides were brass plates 
that were uh, two about eight inches long and three inches wide with the name of a member. And if a member died, the next person in line got that locker. And that was the locker room. Today, that room is their library. It was the locker room. Because when I went back to the Solheim Cup at Glen Eagles, I went back to the Royal Ancient. And that, that room is a library. And I took my book with my picture showing me playing golf there. Yeah. So, so in the, review, I feel like uh, maybe we need to get a, get a quick validation on these two points. One, I think that you closed all the shops around St. Andrews <laughs> so badly that even your partners who were freezing cold looking for long underwear couldn't even <laughs> get warm. Yeah. And so you probably had an advantage there, which was, which was smart. And then the men put you up on a table for a chipping lesson in St. Andrews, <laughs> the first woman ever to enter into the locker room and the clubhouse. That's pretty special. It was. It was. Because when Babe played over there as an amateur, she played at Gillen, which is nearby. Gillen, G-U-I-L-L-E-N, I think. And she stood on the steps of the St. clubhouse. Andrews. Yeah, but that was it. She wasn't allowed in there. Now we have seven women members. So you've got that and, on the and babe. Including Laura, Dame Laura Davies, who's playing here, uh, and Renee Powell, who is a black African-American whose father built the only in, uh, golf course ever in Canton, Ohio, uh, which is in the National Registry. What other great ones you got for us? You have to have some more. I mean, like thinking back and, and some, I love the Ted Williams stuff. <laughs> I just, you don't have an opportunity to, to cherish moments with somebody like yourself very often. So I want to make sure we cover it all. You know, we do. Are there any other things that you remember, recall back in well, the sporting days? Well, some, some of the things on our tour that, uh, how, how and when are we going to be on television? How did we get on television? Well, uh, the very first time we're ever going to be on television was at the Tam O'Shanter All-American on the 18th Green period. 18th that, that was Green. It. Show period. the winner. Show okay. the winner. Yeah. And uh, uh, it's going to be televised, and we just pray. Oh, we knew we knew two or three weeks ahead of time. We we uh, dieted. We talked about what we we're going to wear, <laughs> you know. And it's all black and white television. You know, it didn't matter what color you wore. But anyhow, uh, on that hole right in front of the green was a river. And on the green was elevated and there were two great big trees. And if you hit a good drive and it was sitting up, you could use your five wood get it in the air and get it over the water and onto the green and then you're going to be on television. And you just prayed, and you got to that hole, you had a good drive, and it was sitting up so you could hit it. Because here, these fairways are like grains, they're so gorgeous. You know, we didn't play on, we played on clover and, you know, funny grass. But, uh, so I hit the ball, and it went on the green. And my opponent hit her ball, and it was farther away on the green. But, when we walked across the bridge, I made sure I walked all around the green so I'd get on television. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And when when we teed off, they gave us a ball marker. Now, a ball marker today, what's what's it has a stick on it, doesn't it? Yeah, some of them have little sticks mm -hmm. on them to yeah. put in well, the ground. Well, ours didn't. Ours mm -hmm. were bingo markers. Yeah. They were plastic, nothing on the bottom. So when I went to the green, I took, you didn't have a thing on your cap, mm -hmm. you put in your pocket, and I put the bingo marker behind my ball and tapped it with my putter and picked my ball up. Mm -hmm. So I walked to the side of the green, and my opponent kind of walked around and walked around, and she putted, and as she was putting, I looked down at my putter, and on my putter was the bingo marker. Oh. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I knew you were going to say it. That's, that's happened to so, <laughs> so when I, when my opponent walked off the green, she said, geez, I hope I didn't stand in your line. I didn't see it. I said, there was no problem. It's right here on my putter. <laughs> No. So, so that was your so, television debut? Yeah, that was my television debut. So, you know, I didn't make a big deal out of it. I didn't call a ruling or anything. We just forgot about it and went on our way. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's one of the exciting things that happened to me. There was another story, and I don't know. You said you only hit the ball out of bounds five times, but I heard about a swing and miss, I think. Oh, yes, there was Maryland. A, oh, so yes. What, when, that's the story there yeah, that uh, Maryland's well, putting you under under it on yes, that one. But, but is it true? It's a true story that when I, when I turned pro and went to play that day, the wind grew 60 miles an hour. And Marilyn Smith and I were playing with Louise Suggs. And a couple of holes, the wind was blowing so hard, as we walked to the green, our ball blew off the green. And on one hole, when I took the club back, I lost my balance and I whiffed the ball and laughed. We just laughed. We didn't, you know, Marilyn, a serious Louise, you know, she didn't laugh. want us laughing. So. <laughs> but that day, the only person that broke 80 was Louise Suggs because it was so windy. What did she shoot? She shot 79. She shot 79 in 60 miles. And it broke 80. It broke yeah, 80. Yeah, yeah. And I shot 90 <laughs> as a pro. That was my first, my first game of golf as a pro <laughs> with a whiff. Did you count it? Did you count the swing and miss? <laughs> so, you know, funny stories. You know, I got plenty of stories. <laughs> but uh, There's a scene. I was never a great golfer, but I was a great oh, teacher because no, I, great I, had, I learned how to teach. I went to school to be a teacher. And they taught me how to talk, and they taught me how to write, and they taught me how to to organize groups, and and, and that's why I'm so proud to have fought to establish the teaching division, and I'm so proud that we have 1,800 members, and uh, we're growing, continuing so, to grow. There's a uh, in the movie. They're the founders, which yes. is great. So, and if you haven't watched it, it'll it'll really share a lot of these stories. It's on mm -hmm. Amazon Prime, and so if you're an Amazon member, you should certainly go watch this because the founder story has got amazing history, historical fact, great interviews, and and you play a starring role in it. <laughs> but one of the final scenes, and I I guess it's spoiler alert time, but is Suggs yes. coming in to in the, a wheelchair in the wheelchair and, and she, looking up, and she looks up and she sees herself 
Yeah. And it like it actually choked me up yeah. when I when I when I watched that moment because and she says I'm finally up there with the boys. It just is so <laughs> yeah, powerful. Right. Does that did that hit you in the heart yes, when you saw that? Yes, yes, it surely did. And uh, I, I'm very fortunate to have known all those people, and they're part of my life. And uh, I'm I'm happy to see Allie here, who is a tremendous junior golfer and loves Thank the game you. and you're going to go forward and play in high school golf and and, and uh, compete and and remember uh, some of the funny stories that are happening in today's golf yeah with you know? her and her friends too so she's she's going to read you something here and then we'll kind of we'll say our goodbyes because you got a lot to do today you're a popular person yeah Surely for the rest of my life, I will hold on to this day. Meeting you gives me such happiness. It really has been an honor meeting you. There is a sign on the 18th green that sits behind you as you welcome the players off the course here at the Founders Cup. It says, act like a founder. It's been a true pleasure seeing firsthand what that means. Your impact on the players in the LPGA is obvious. I can tell you that almost all of them are working hard to live up to your example. That legacy isn't going to fade away. It will be passed down from generation to gen- generation forever. What a life you have lived. Keep rolling on to... Triple digits. Oh, triple keep, uh, digits. keep oh, rolling right. on to triple digits. Well, I want to tell you that I want to give you one advice. Always hold your finish till the ball lands. And secondly, in your putt, you do three things. Stop, look, and listen. You stop moving, you look at the ball, and you listen for it to drop. And if you peek and watch it go off the putter, you won't sink it. You have to listen for it to drop. And you don't see the ball when you putt until it's at least a third of the way on its way to the hole. And the girls out here, when they miss a putt, if they look up just a little bit, the piece opens and they miss it on the right. So don't ever do that. Stop, look, and listen. I will. And you'll be a good putter. <laughs> Thank you for the advice. Bye. I really appreciate it. I know I said it 20 times, but I'm saying it again. Shirley Spork, thank you. Well, that wraps up our series from the Founders Cup here at Mountain Ridge Country Club, just outside of New York City. What a time we had. Now, the best part. We get to watch the best players in the game. We hope you have enjoyed our conversation. I know I have. And always remember, golf is great, the grind makes it greater. That's right. Thank you, Shirley. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.